Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Just myself and Michael in the room this week. So you can guess the theme. We're going to cover England versus India. We're also going to talk about the West Indies historic win at the Gabba in the Pink Ball Test Match in that two-match Test Match series, which has left us wanting more and more Test cricket. Luckily, plenty more of it to come in India, which we'll tune into on this episode of the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boy, <laughs> we've got to change the change the, the plurality of the opening. Um, where do we start? I think we've had a diet of white ball cricket for a pretty decent period of time, and then like London buses, when you're wanting a great Test match to turn up at once um, at the Gabba in the pink ball Test match, and then we're going to go to Hyderabad as well to talk England. India, but I guess let's start with the kind of macro theme. Really, um, a big amount made of what this means for for Test cricket. I think I've got the words of Raj Reddy ringing in my ears. Nothing's ever as good or bad as it seems, but it's certainly been a good three or four days for the longest form of our beautiful game. Absolutely, I've had uh, similarly the nothing is ever as good as a bad or as bad as it seems ringing in my ears, but for the opposite reason, I guess, to you. We've been uh, really entertained by two high-quality test matches, and it's wonderful to see Red Bull Cricket back on the calendar and Red Bull Cricket delivering outstanding levels of entertainment for fans, regardless of whether or not you're an Australian fan or an England fan or an Indian fan or a West Indies fan or a neutral. There's been some really high-quality test cricket played in both venues, completely different sets of conditions, environments, circumstances, all that kind of stuff. But both matches have been um, really, really high entertaining. And in the Australia-West Indies uh, scenario, it's very, very close as well. Only sort of, you know, eight runs in it. Let's maybe go to the Gabba first. So we'll go to Brisbane, um, a ground we've both got a lot of affection for. We do, yeah. I played a club season in Brisbane, yourself hailing from... Um, the state of what I would call the Maroons and you'd call the Maroons but um, let's uh, let, let's start at the Gabba N- number one it, it seems as if there's a little bit of rhetoric around this being um, doom and gloom for Australia I think the other thing I, I'd like you to kind of I, I guess address in your opening gambit is some criticism coming in for the Gabba as a venue for pink ball cricket mm-hmm. uh, Nathan Lyon particularly being very uh, I guess He's not really outspoken, is he? He does speak his mind, but saying that Adelaide is the perfect venue for pink ball cricket and, and feels as if Brisbane was the wrong venue choice uh, for, a, for a pink ball game. I, I guess the timing of those comments grates a little bit with me, but thoughts on, I guess, where Australia are at and also that, yeah, pink versus, yeah, pink versus red ball argument for, for the Wollongabba? Yeah, let's, let's deal with the venue stuff first. We'll get that out yeah. of the way and then we'll talk about the cricket. So I think from a venue perspective, Nathan Lyon is correct in my view in that Adelaide has produced some fantastic pink ball test matches. Australia obviously have a very good record in pink ball test matches in Adelaide and in day-night tests generally. I think one of the advantages or the traditional advantage of the Gabba if you are a touring team coming to that ground first, it tends to have in the early part of the summer a bit of swing and seam. There's extra bounce for the batters to deal with and for Australian uh, teams going to the Gabba and playing their first test ma- match there, it has traditionally been a very, very successful venue. Uh, in 2021, of course, we lost a test match and now in 2024. So it hasn't been brilliant of late, but pre- previously it was known as the Gabatoire, the fortress for Australian cricket, and we've been successful there for a very long time. 
I think Adelaide does provide a fantastic venue for test cricket, both in terms of the playing conditions, but also the fan experience. Yeah. So behind the scenes at the Adelaide Oval, there's some tremendous fan zones and uh, areas where you can go and, and spend the day at the cricket or the evening at the cricket and not watch a ball, a little bit like going to the tennis or or some of those other venues, the races, etc. You can go to those um, occasions and, and be part of the spectacle rather than part of the viewing uh, of the of the sport itself. So I think from all of those perspectives, Adelaide's a better venue for uh, day-night test cricket. We may not see many more tests at the Gabba. Of course, that venue is going to be demolished in uh, in a year or two's time to make way for the Olympic venue, which will yep. go in, in its place. Uh, so cricket in Brisbane will look very, very different going forward and will never really be the same again once that venue is then potentially re-established as a, as a cricket venue post-2032 uh, Olympics. So uh, enjoy it while it lasts, cricket fans. This will be the, uh, one of the last times you see test cricket played in, in the old fortress Gabbatoire. Let's move on and, and talk in a bit more detail about the, the, I guess, the actual cricket through the course of the series. So I think let's put this in perspective, a comfortable victory for Australia in the first test at Adelaide in, mm-hmm. a, in a day game there. So West Indian batting really not firing, although yeah, a couple of bright spots, I guess, with the ball for them even in that um, that test match. But then coming into this test at, at the Gabba, um, still some question marks around that Australian batting lineup. And um I guess uh, let me lead into this on I know you're keen to talk a little bit about probably Smith and Green and whether that's the right combination mm-hmm. in terms of batting order and then I guess you know I know it's early into this era uh, post David Warner era but taking him out of that side not just the fact that he's missing from the top of an order that he's been at for a pretty decent period of time it looks a bigger hole than just his name taken out of it from a from an outsider's perspective your, your thoughts I guess on that batting it's it's been historically or statistically if you like one of the worst performances by an Australian batting lineup at home in the last 45 years in terms of the number of runs per wicket fallen and all the rest of it conditions have played a part in that yep. there have been some tremendous bowling performances both from um, Amir Jamal in the Pakistan series and now Shamar Joseph here in the West Indies series so to say it's all batting no bowling would be disrespectful to yep. both of those sides and I think we really need to give credit to uh, particularly Shamar Joseph in terms of his performance in this second test, in the second innings, getting seven wickets in only his second test match on the back of a busted toe that he had to strap together with duct tape and you know take injections or whatever he had to do to get through to the, um, to, to the bowl increase. That is a special performance and we shouldn't take anything away from that. But historically, this has been a really poor summer for for Australia, papered over by Travis Head's hundred in the in the, the first, first in, in, in Adelaide, and also David Warner's hundred in Perth. Yeah. Australia get a big total there and start to assert their dominance over Pakistan. Those two innings, notwithstanding, Australia's been pretty poor in this t- in this series. You have a look at their um, stats over the last twelve months. None of those batters, none of them, average forty five with the bat. Not even Kawaja. He's the best at forty two. Steve Smith averages forty one over the last 12 months Travis Head 39 and then it starts to really fall away from there so you know Australia haven't been performing to their expectations over the last 12 months and if you have a look at their kind of average score if you sum up all the averages of all the batters it's around about 310 so our 290 for nine is about a par score for Australia and it just wasn't enough really against that West Indies side that has a bit about it and played really good cricket. Well, you mentioned it first, so let's talk about that declaration at 290 for nine. A bit of Ben Stokes 
um, in that declaration. I, I'm guessing sort of factoring in, you know, th- that it was a pink ball test and that was a good time to be bowling potentially. Uh, any qualms with that decision? It certainly didn't blow up on our our Slack channel or something you were passionate about at the time, but maybe you were just away from your phone. No, historically there is a, like history says that that's a poor decision to declare behind. I think Australia have only beaten the West Indies twice having declared behind. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe even twice ever having declared behind. It's not many times. I was quite happy with the decision because what you wanted from that scenario is for Australia to take a wicket before stumps, and they did. Yeah. So if you can dismiss one of the openers in a tricky little period for batting, that is job done and should make up for the 20 or so runs that we declared behind. So I was completely fine with that decision. Many wouldn't be, but, I mean, you have a look at the result, and we declared 22 behind and lost by eight. Those eight runs you know, from Hazelwood and, and co. could have been crucial to the outcome, but at the time and even after the game I'm pretty okay with that decision to declare I would have done the same yeah and from a batting perspective Baldy I guess um, Steve Smith opening the batting and carrying his bat through that innings for 91 although not getting Australia across the line probably more like him batting at four and, and, and batting with the tail so it wasn't a case of him being the opener and having mm, a different mm. um, a different role um, anything you would suggest he might have done differently he gave the single quite freely when I guess uh uh, certainly when um, a couple of the bowlers were in and t- until Hazelwood came in really he was comfortable to give the strike to, to Nathan Lyon and um, and to a lesser extent I guess Pat Cummins Yeah I mean those guys have, have come a long way I mean we've seen Nathan Lyon not maybe statistically but in terms of his maturity as a batter he has been more able to contribute to, to big meaningful partnerships I mean you go back to the Ashes and, yeah. and a number of others in the last 12 to 18 months where he's been able to hang around with a a recognize better if you like yeah. uh, and contribute to those partnerships so i think that's a really appropriate way of going about their cricket for for steve smith he did a really good job holding that australian innings together he didn't get a lot of help if you have a look at that second inning scorecard australia didn't really put together much help for him other than maybe some swashbuckling from mitchell stark and some um you know a pretty mature innings from cameron green until he was until he was bowled by joseph off a reasonable ball that kind yeah. of bounced Excessive bounce got him, got him on the elbow, and then that crashed onto the top of off stump. So, yeah, um, you know that's a that's a good innings from Green. That's a tick uh, for him. And if you're looking at the kind of totality of the series, if you just look at this Test match, the two best batters are the two guys that people are starting to throw questions around. So, they've done themselves, you know, a, a pass mark in terms of this Test match. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess we, we always talk and particularly in England talk about needing to take pace to Australia to, to challenge mm. um, what do you think about I guess that West Indian bowling attack we're clearly going to talk a little bit about Shamar Joseph he got picked up in a after auction auction um, I believe so that they were um, I think going through the process of being able to fill up their rosters for players that had pulled out that had already taken place um, on a conference call and then he's got an even later deal to go oh, wow. to, to the PSL off the back of his heroics here but um, I, I guess my question at the end of all that is he bowled quick did, did that rattle the Australians a little bit they don't really have a, a lot of uh, I guess challenge against extreme pace unless they're facing their own bowlers in the nets was this a little bit of a surprise to them do you think someone bowling yeah High 140s and into the early 150s. Exactly, and that's fantastic for the West Indies to unearth another talent like that. Yes, I think it is an issue for Australia. If you have a look at the dismissals for Manus in in particular over the last 12 to 18 months, a lot of those dismissals are genuine pace, outside off stump. 
the, the difference in time to make decisions around off stump is minimized once you start getting into 140, yeah. 150 plus. And I think what we're starting to figure out is that there is a challenge for Manus in particular, but other Australian batters as well, making good decisions when the ball is 145 plus around that off stump. Manus has got out consistently over the last 12 to 18 months, nicking balls that he could have otherwise left. Uh, so that's an issue for him. And that's why we're seeing his average over the last two years under 45 yeah. uh, it's gone from 60 at the start of this year in, in terms of career average to down somewhere around 50 so he's regressing back to the mean as Raj Reddy predicted uh, a, a year or so ago um, so I think there are some genuine challenges that Australia have got chasing facing genuine pace and I don't think it's going to be different anywhere else around the world if he goes and plays on fast bouncy wickets and you know the West Indies can produce a wicket or two in their home conditions that have got a bit of pace and bounce uh, he's going to be a dangerous customer going forward and I'm really excited, not just because he's got a deal to go and play T20 cricket, but he said after that match, yeah. I want to play cricket for the West Indies and I will always make myself available for the West Indies to play test cricket. So hats off to him because that's an outstanding statement for him to make as a young cricketer, putting test cricket for, um, first and foremost in his kind of list of priorities. Let's see if that remains to be the case when he's getting offered millions of dollars to go and do eight weeks worth of work. But uh, look, you've got to take your hat off to the kid because not only has he shown he got tremendous talent, but the way in which he faced Australia's bowlers who were trying to bounce him out, the way in which he came back against Australia's batters and nicked him off and then showed that big tick in terms of physical resilience to go out, strap your toe together and bowl Australia out in the second innings. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. Yeah, I mean, look, difficult to know exactly what he'd done, but he said he wasn't even going to travel to the ground. And then I think one of the, the backroom staff said to him, well, you should really go down just to, to watch and, mm. you know, support the team and then the physios work some uh some absolute magic whether that's uh i don't know a a needle through the toenail and get, get rid of a bit of blood or um an injection or look we don't know do we but yeah certainly he seemed bothered by it just walking yep. back to his run-up but from the top of his run-up to the crease it, it didn't seem to be in his mind at all fantastic and outcome from him uh the lap of honor as well the toe yeah. was all right for that wasn't yeah it? completely fine i mean the adrenaline's flowing oh. in a guy like that right and and that's a tremendous i used tremendous about 55 times in last week's pod so i need to find another superlative but it was an outstanding victory for the west yeah. indies you know it had one of the greats brian lara in tears at the outcome Carl Hooper as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So this mean you can see it clearly means a lot to the West Indies to continue to perform in Test cricket. There's been a lot spoken about whether or not they prioritise Test cricket. Clearly the players and the staff and the people watching the game really do. Uh, so we can only hope that that continues going forward. Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, I think at the time I, I said I don't think I've seen a more joyous victory celebration. Um, probably again it's not quite as good or as bad as you think there's probably is one if i cast my mind back but yeah there just looks on some of those guys faces when they yeah when they took that final wicket particularly in the fashion that they did um uh, joseph obviously hitting the top of off stump yeah. which he'd done consistently throughout the test match and um, what else are we excited about in this west indies side a lot of credit's got to go to the skipper i think yep um craig brathwaite who is a pretty much a one format player isn't he for the west indies effectively yes yeah yeah um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of credit for him bringing together. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, all of the different cultures from all of the different uh, all of the different islands and the politics that goes in into that from a cricket board perspective. But yeah, any other bright um, yeah bright marks I guess from that 
uh, West Indies Kevin series. Sinclair. Yeah. Kevin Sinclair's got a bit about him, uh, not just for his celebration, which was absolute first class. I yep. mean, even the like, even the East Block judges were giving that 9s and 10s. They were, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the good tuck with the pike. Yeah. Absolutely. And the form on landing was outstanding. Stuck the landing. There's a lot to like about that middle order. I'm, I'm not quite sure who my favour is. I think it might be Kirk McKenzie, but you could pick any one of those those yeah. middle order guys. I, I like the look happy. of Alec Athanasi, actually. He's got, kind of got a little bit of Lara in him. Yeah, um, there's I, a little bit of swagger about those yeah, guys, yeah. which is great. And you've got two really good openers to complement that batting order in Tash Chanderpaul and Craig Brathwaite, who yeah. are kind of, not dour, but they, they've got a bit of stick to about them. So there's lots to like about that, that West Indies side. I really like Joshua De Silva. I always have. I was so glad that he got runs in that test match as well. Keeps so. in a floppy. Keeps in a floppy. Not, I'm not sure about that. You're not, you're not sure about the floppy? I'm not sure. In 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 the West Indies, the sun is quite hot, so I'll, I'll give okay, him a pass for that. But you're the wicket-keeping uh, uh, arbiter of, of standards and, and dress code, so I'll, I'll okay. leave that one to you. Fair enough. And a final word on Australia. So I, I guess any... Yeah, I guess any big calls, or is this just a case of, look, it's it's a series victory or a, a retention of the uh, the Frank Worrell Trophy, I think. Um, is it the Frank Worrell Trophy yes, you play for? Yeah. 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 Um, so you, you've obviously kept the silverware, I think, having held it previously. Yes, we did. Not worried potentially about just a, a single test match loss? I don't think so, but I think there is a there is a there is an area for concern in Australia's batting in terms of we've not performed as we've expected Australia to perform. The challenge for Australia is they're carrying a guy in Cameron Green who is still finding his feet at test level. There's a lot expected of that guy. I mean, Nathan Lyon came out and said he could be the next Jacques Callis. That's big reps on a kid. Historically, only Callis and Sobers have really performed at the level that they expect from him. So we've just got to temper expectations a little bit. If this is the road that Australian cricket is going to go down, and we kind of have to trust them. They've earned the right for us to give them a bit of faith over the last 18 months. So we've just got to ride that roller coaster a little bit and know that Cameron Green is going to produce some tremendous innings, some tremendous catches. He's already one of the best gully fields in the world. But I think we've just got to be patient and know that the kid's only 25. He's going to have some soft dismissals along the way. He's going to look good and get out for 40 when he should have got 100. Those things will happen as he matures as a test cricketer. What we will judge this statement on is whether or not it extends Steve Smith's career. Because I think one of the reasons why he went to open is to give himself a new challenge. I think he was feeling a bit stale at number four. So if that extends his career and provides an opportunity for Cameron Smith, uh, Cameron Green to grow into his role as a test cricketer, those are big wins for Australia. So we're not going to know if this is a success until two years' time, I don't think. Yeah. I, th- I think the thing for me is that you've got some guys that are in and around that conversation, but when you go back to the real halcyon days, I guess, of... Uh, your cricket from what the early or late 90s really through the early 2000s there were a lot of guys pulling up trees in in shield cricket from a runs perspective we're not seeing that and we're not seeing that in world cricket really in terms of that first class performance and particularly that first class performance being an arbiter of whether or not you're going to be good enough to uh, to cut the mustard from a from a test perspective so yeah I, I think you've got the right personnel I guess it's just whether there's anyone else on those those depth charts to kind of come through with weight of runs if there is a, know, if there, if is, there a, is a shock retirement if there is a uh, Usman Kouadjistan do you know what I've had enough or you know a Steve Smith going do you know what 
I'm going to go and just play some IPL for a bit or, or something along those that, lines. That will be a real challenge for Australia. Yeah. And, and what will end up happening is they'll go back to guys that they've already discarded. Yeah, uh, your before Bancrofts. Your, your Hanscoms, yeah. your Bancrofts, your Marcus Harris, etc. Because other than Jake Fraser, McGurk and, and one or two others, yeah. there, there are guys in that Australian domestic setup that have a lot of talent. Aaron Hardy is one yeah. uh, for Western Australia, yet another Western Australian pace bowling all-rounder but we haven't seen them dominate yeah. shield cricket for multiple years like Lehman did, like Siddons did, like Jimmy Ma, Martin Love, you know, Damien Martin, etc. Yeah, in, yeah. in that period you're talking about. So there will be a regression back towards some development for some of those guys coming coming into that Australian lineup. Awesome. Let's move on. Yes, let's and, do. And talk England versus India. Um, I don't know whether you knew this, but um, after that victory for for England against uh, India and West Indies beating Australia, West Indies have gone ahead of England in the World Test Championship. No way. Really? Yeah. Is that because they boosted their averages or a percentage thing? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic for the West Indies. So we're eighth in um, in that table now. Really? Yeah. Having won a test match. Yeah. That's bizarre. I did not know that. Yeah. It's good, isn't it? That's fantastic. Well, well done to England. Yes. Is that a run rate thing or is that the ashes Um, to... to, Anyway. There's been so much cricketing news. Yeah, I didn't didn't dig into the details. I just read the headline and the the first little paragraph and went, oh, okay, interesting how that algorithm works. Look, that... I know it doesn't mean nothing, but in the context of the win, the the change in from seventh to eighth or eighth to seventh or whatever it is in the World Test Championship tables probably low on your list of priorities. Absolutely. Ben Stokes has described this as his greatest win as skipper. Is it is it that significant? This this Test win in India. I mean, you won the last Test the last time you went went there. You've been pr- pretty successful in first Tests against India and India lately. How important is this win for England in this first Test at Hyderabad? Again, let's you know, let's let's use the Raj Reddy quote here. Nothing's ever as good or, or as bad as it seems. So I think in the heat of the moment, I can absolutely understand that comment, and I think Ben Stokes means it. I, re- I really do. When you look at what you know, what he has done. Yes, we you know won a couple of games in in Pakistan. Um, managed to find plans to work on you know really really flat, uh, lifeless pitches out there. We've obviously had some success, as we've talked about on the podcast in our home summers. Um, you know, a fantastic Ashes series that ebbed and flowed. But I, I've got to, You've got to kind of probably look at the statistics of this game to understand the significance of this victory. I think um, I'll get this completely wrong, but um, India have never conceded a deficit of more than sixty and, and lost a Test match at home. Um, so this is, you know, this was a deficit of 190 odd. And I think, you know, realistically, the only person probably in the ground who thought that England had a chance of winning um, this game was, you know, probably Ollie Pope going out to bat on that um, on that third day and, and um, Ben Stokes himself as captain. So absolutely. And I think probably because of the manner in which we won the test match. Now, I'm not going to. I'm not saying we're going to go on and win the series. So, Indian fans, please don't you know think this is you know one test match and, and all of a sudden we're going to uh, we're going to take home the trophy. I, I don't think that's the case. India are going to bounce back strongly, and this England team aren't going to be able to succeed 
over five test matches without um, succumbing to the, you know, the excellence of that spin attack at some point. But they have to take a lot that they have disrupted with a little bit of chaos, um, that Indian bowling lineup, particularly in that um, in that second innings with the way that Pope played and even people like Raul Dravid have said, that's the best innings I've seen from an overseas overseas batter. And then I think when you actually also look at it as well, um, Jasprit Bumrah had a fantastic test match for, for India. He found a little bit of reverse swing. He found a way to take wickets as a seam bowler. Um, Mark Wood really struggled in that, in that sense. So with Wood pretty ineffective throughout the course of the test match, yes, he got it to tail just a little bit, but not enough. Um, and obviously Jack Leach being incapacitated. To do that with the spin lineup of a guy on debut, um, a guy bowling on one leg, um, a pretty decent third spinner in, in Joe Root um, and a kid, Ryan Ahmed, only playing his second test match. Mm. I, look, I think that the significance in the way that they've done that is probably what makes it really, really exciting for that England team. Yeah, standout, standout performance from that spin attack and we'll come on to them in a sec. Um, I just wanted to go back kind of historically and look yeah. at the build-up to that test match. Yeah. And you've got on notes here for me to ask you about the Abu Dhabi preparation. Yeah. Disrupted with the issues for visas for Shah Bashir and, and a whole bunch of other things. Is this vindication of that Abu Dhabi preparation situation, do you think? Um, good alliteration in the preparation situation um, introduction. But there you go. Um, yes, is the short answer, mate. Um, and I think it was before. I, I, I think... If I kind of look at, I, I, you know, when England are playing, I, I switch on to every single podcast and an article and, um, and and quite often find myself shouting at the radio or the TV, particularly in the way that the, you know, a lot of the media and particularly some of the older players are kind of making comparisons of when we went to India in 1981, we played against every state and then we played the first test match. That doesn't happen anymore. So please stop going on about it and stop comparing because that doesn't happen in not just in England going on, on tour, but no country goes and plays four or five preparation games. And to be honest, even in the last two or three times where we have gone and had uh, pre preparation matches, and you'll know this from an Australian perspective, if you're playing at Adelaide in the first test match, you get a game in Cairns as your first warm-up game on a pitch that's completely different and they go and pick four or five little medium paces and it gives you no match practice and the same happened when England last went to India we played on a flat wicket against you know third string medium paces the fact they went to Abu Dhabi and my understanding is they did all sorts of crazy shit to the nets to make them spin and bounce and not bounce and fall apart and explode. They were sprinkling sand on a length. They were doing all kinds of stuff to get prepared for uh, what they felt they might face in India. And then someone like Ollie Pope, who looked pretty ordinary in that first innings, um, comes and scores 196 having not played a game of cricket since he limped out of the... Well, he didn't limp out because he did his shoulder, but since he went out of that um, Ashes test in what would what that have been, June, June or July. July. Yeah, exactly. So you have to think that either he's got amazing muscle memory or the preparation in Abu Dhabi put him in a position to be able to play that kind of innings. And the same with, with the majority of the rest of um, of the batting lineup. So absolutely vindicated from from my perspective, that prep. I agree, and I think the the evidence for me, and will remains to be seen whether or not yeah. it lasts over it's one a test long. Yeah, exactly. Let's not get carried away, but 
I think the the clarity of the strategy, how they're going to counter Jadeja and Akshar in particular by sweeping them off their length is, and I think back to Matt Hayden's big series that he had against India yeah. where he, he just basically bought a broom. Was that 0-1? 0-1, something, like that? something yeah. like that. 500 runs, scored a lot of runs, but, but swept everything and used the ability to, he's a big, tall guy, get down and sweep and use the length of his bat to put India off their length. I mean, we're talking about different classes of spinners in, in terms of the comparison here, but I think the clarity of that strategy to go ahead and sweep and reverse sweep. Yep. Um, and, you know, no one's ever scored that many runs with a reverse sweep in a test match before. So it's quite clearly vindicated in this instance. Let's see how India, who will have to take a second set of spinners into this next test, because we'll talk about that, yep. how they respond. Because this is points to England early on, and it's up to India, I think, to respond now going into the next Test match. Yeah, and, and I think probably again, it's too early to, to really tell. But from a pace perspective, we saw Pat Cummins try and counter that early in the Ashes series by sticking a sweep right, but that's with two seamers, and you know roughly where that ball's going to get hit. It's probably you know going to go to point or cover, and that guy's going to cut it off. Yeah, with the reverse sweep and the way that they're they're playing, you, you'd have to have three or four guys to cover the ability of, of uh, particularly on this test match on where they hit the ball and and that for me I just want to mention the openers and um, got us off to really good starts mm-hmm. um, maybe not from a you know necessarily completely from a run scoring perspective but the intent that the guys scored to get you know 50 up in that first innings and um, important runs as well Duckett I think getting 40 odd in that second innings really just set a little bit of momentum so I think them setting the tone at the top of the order was, super was really important, important. Yeah, yeah super important not just because and we talk about David Warner and, and his impact missing from the Australian team it's the impact to get off to a good start to get 45 or 55 with the two partnerships before yep. spin came on in earnest and they had spin from both ends yep. so they were able to get their innings away and get confident put uh, Rohit Sharma a little bit on the back foot as a skipper and make that make India sort of chase the game a little bit so look it was outstanding performance from England particularly conceding sort of what was at 430 in the first innings to India who batted really well in this test match you know you got 87 from from Ravi Jadeja well they're going to miss him when and he doesn't play in the second test yeah. and it's, they've said he's out but I always take that yeah. with a pinch of salt so to we'll, be honest we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll come on to that but yeah look fantastic for them should we talk about the England spin bowling um, tri- uh, trio quad, yeah. qu- quartet? If you yeah. you got to really let's, count. Let's it, quickly you? talk about that Indian batting because I think you you, know, you mentioned four thirty. I think Raul Dravid's come out and said we probably left eighty odd runs out there. So uh, none of those guys going on and getting that big you know that big big score I suppose might be the thing that you'd point to because that would have really killed the game if if any of those guys whether it was Jadeja or. Uh, Kale Rahul had gone on and got you know 120 that yeah. was definitely game over then or, or, or Jaswell at the top of the Jaswell order Jaswell at the top of the order yeah I mean the, the funny thing is we talked about this test at the conclusion of England's first innings and we thought well India are 50 in front England are 50 behind in terms of pass scores because yeah. England had lots of starts in yeah. their first innings only Stokes won and got 70 yeah. India had three guys go from 20 to 80 and we thought that was going to be a big difference maker but actually at the end of the day the big difference maker is when you go on as Raj says and get big daddy hundreds yeah and that was and that was what Ollie Pope did and he got support with starts from the rest of the guys and that was enough yeah to put India in big trouble yeah absolutely so spinners you wanted to talk about yeah so Eng- England brought four spinners into this test match a lot of people were saying that's one too many yeah uh, but given the injury to Jack Leach 
um, and and criticism for Tom Hartley. I guess his sort of first seven overs in in Test cricket cost sixty three um, in the first inning. So. You know, England were on the back foot a little bit there, and Joe Root was probably the best bowler in the first innings. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, lots of criticism of that England England spin attack. They had a big job to do to come back and bowl India out, and Tom Hartley did a fantastic job. Yeah, but look, I guess be, before we talk about his seven for sixty-two, I think we've got to talk about probably. I, I think the quote was his naught for sixty-two in his first, you know, his first spell going at what eight and over or something like that. I thought he got a little bit of harsh criticism. Um, and I think, you know, some of the chat that was going around at the end of the day's play was, you know, why did he open the bowling? Why did Root not open the bowling? There was a left-hander batting. This has got shades of a Simon Kerrigan or a Chris Schofield or insert name of England spinner who's got smashed on debut and never been seen again. Um, I actually don't think it was that bad. Um, the, clearly the Indian guys, you know, A, with a new ball, it's difficult to bowl spin. I think anybody would, you know, would tell you that. B, I think they were going to go after him. And Jayswell obviously, you know, did that in the ultimate fashion by hitting him for six first ball and I think a six off the the fourth ball as well. Um, Stokes, as is Stokes' want, didn't give him much protection and, and kept the field up and mm-hmm. trusted him to keep bowling. And then when you actually look at where, you know, where he finished up, he, you know, he finished with two for 131. But if you kind of split his, you know, split his spells up, he finished for, you know, two for 69 off 16 after that, uh, after that opening spell. Good so, figures, good return. Which, which is okay. So, yep. Yes, he, he he went for 130. Yes, he got a little bit of tap. But I think that getting him into the game in that way, um, and particularly with Mark Wood only bowling two, two overs up front with a new ball anyway, he'd have been on pretty quickly. Anyhow. It, anyhow, he'd, he'd have certainly been bowling with a ball, you know, eight or, or nine overs old. And, and who knows what would have happened to Joe Root, who then came back and took some important wickets, got Jaiswell out. Um, early on that, uh, what would it have been, second day, mm-hmm. um, and, and chipped in with some, you know, some important, you know, important wickets. So, um, you know, I thought he was a little bit harshly talked about. Um, and then look, his performance in that second inning, seven for, for 60 odd, um, you know, really vindicated why we picked him. Um, again, for this one test match, let's not get too carried away. But absolutely, um, I know I've said, you know, privately on our Slack channel, I, I think he'll end up with a better set of test match stats than, than Jack Leach. Mm. Um, and I think he could turn himself... And this is, you know, probably a little bit of a slight on him. I think he could be a better version of Ashley Giles because I think he can clearly hold a bat um, and, and provide a little bit of intent, probably at number eight. I'm not saying he's, you know, all of a sudden ravaged Jadeja, but there was just a little bit about him, particularly mm. the way, you know, the, the way he batted in that first innings. Um, Ravi Chandra Ashwin was trying to rush him and he went, no, no, no I'm going to pull away and I'm going to have a little garden yep. and I'm going to bat on my terms. Just little things like that tells me that, you know, this this lad's got a little bit about him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Look, spinners on debut who opened the bowling in India against India are just about on a hiding to nothing. He's yep. in tremendous company. Warren's debut in India was one for 150. So he's clearly 20 runs better and one wicket better than, than Warren's <laughs> debut at least, than his debut at least. Okay, I'll take that. Um, but for, for Hartley and Rehan Ahmed in particular, tricky for them because Jack Leach was clearly um, it, not incapacitated but impacted by his injury, unable to bowl long spells, which is traditionally his want. So they had a lot of work to do against an Indian side that had clearly decided they were going to go after him and go after him hard. 
I thought, you know, if you have a look at the totality of the test match where they bowled England to victory in the second innings, which is what you want your spinners to do, they have had an outstanding test match, that spin quartet. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think, again, probably just shows that they got the makeup of the side right as well. Now, you're not going to necessarily predict an injury, um, obviously, ahead of a test match. Um you know, there'd have probably been a bigger concern if Wood had gone down early on and then you'd have been saying, oh, wow, the spinners have got to bowl all the overs and we've not even got a single seam option in there. Mm. Um, but look, again, I think there's... Behind all this bravado of baseball and, you know, take every day as it comes and live with your feet on the ground, there's meticulous planning, I think, that goes into this. I think they've identified, they've probably gone back and gone, who did us last time we came to India? It was Akshar, it was Ravi Jadeja, it was a bit of Ravi Ashwin. We need to try and find people that can bowl like that. And that's why they've picked, you know, Hartley. That's why they've, you know, probably picked Bashir. And, and then I think, obviously, Joe Root has, you know, has had some success with the ball away from home as well. And, and Ryan Ahmed is, is your luxury in that in that lineup, isn't he? Didn't bowl a lot of overs. Probably was not the pick of the spinners. Um, but yeah, certainly gave the baller yeah a little bit of a rip. Um, and, and on another day, he might have been the yep. guy that, that and, that's taken four or five. And and that's the plight of the leg spinner in India yeah, is yeah. that you can actually bowl really well as a leg spinner in India and not get the reward and yep. any of your mistakes because the pitches are a little bit slower. That ball that's dragged down sits up and gets punished through the offside uh, quite badly. So yeah, it's it's tricky for wrist spinners in India as much as you know Anil Kumble will tell you it's different. But he's a different different kind type of, of leg spinner, different yeah. type of leggy, right? Much much more over the top. Uh, than, than perhaps Ryan Ahmed is. Um, quickly on folks, we want to talk about wicket-keeping a little bit, don't we? Um, yeah. Lots lots to talk about. The injury made the selection decision a little bit easier, but vindication to, to, to pick folks in the first test. I thought he had a good game. Yeah, look, I, I think he was always going to play anyway. I think from two or three days out, the, certainly the... the journalists on Twitter were saying he was the one with the gloves on at training mm -hmm. um, looked you know almost certain to play and, and that was the case I think actually a pretty good test match for both wicket keepers uh, Barat I thought had a really good test with the, with the gloves as well um, yeah, up to the stumps for obviously the majority of the test match both of the keepers and I thought they both looked really really good folks dropped one chance which was actually given buys um, after England had uh, burned their three reviews so um, unless uh, you know no fines then well unless the Indian batter had you know said actually no I've nicked that and walked off then um uh, yeah, th that wouldn't have gone down as a chance mm. anyway. But Perhaps. I thought, it, yeah, but I thought he kept. Yeah, I thought he kept pretty well. Uh, a couple of stumpings. You know, you would expect him to take both of those uh, stumpings. I think. Um, but you've still got to take them in the pressure moment of, of a match. Ask Ian Healy about uh, miss stumping in the last over of a match. You know, even the greatest can can miss them. But then I think also coming in in that second innings, thirty four off eighty odd balls, partnership of over a hundred with Ollie Pope. That was really important. And it was not just really important in the context of the game. It was really important, I think, for Ben Folks, um, because he, a little bit like Pope, actually, got out just feeling for one and nicking off in that um, that first innings, the, the kind of old-fashioned way that England mm -hmm. players would mm -hmm. get out against spin on the subcontinent. So for him to come in in that situation and bat so well uh, with Ollie Pope and then obviously for Hartley and Rayan to, to follow that up with contributions of their own was yeah was really important. So yeah, a, a tick for, for Ben Folks as well. Nice. Anything else we want to talk about Test 1 before we look ahead to, to Test Match number 2? Because there are going to be changes. 
No, I, I, I don't think so. Other than the captain's performance, that 70-odd, I think when you look at that first innings. Um, yeah. Held it together. Uh, well, held it together for a period of time and then knew when to press go. Yeah, you'd have probably liked another 30 from him, but, you know, he can't do it every single time. But to get, um, yeah, to get 70 from where he was and then that run out was sensational as well. Um, but I think most importantly, the way he's obviously handled his, you know, his, his attack particularly, um, particularly pumping up Tom Hartley's tyres overnight on uh, on on day one and day two to, to get him in the frame of mind to, to to get England to a victory on day four. It's a good point because looking after spinners is not a job that traditionally Ben Stokes has had to worry about from, right. a, from a captaincy point of view. He's done it well with Leach though. He has done it well. He's really managed Jack Leach well, managed his role very well within the team. So it shouldn't be a surprise, but you know, when you're managing four spinners, how they rotate, making sure that they're looked after, got the right protection uh, in India. Look, yeah, he did a, did a really good job. So let's move on to the uh, the second test match in uh, Vizag. Um, we've got Indian selection issues mm-hmm. we've got a couple of um potential injuries so Jadeja limped off with a hammy after he was uh run out look he's been replaced I think in the squad but might travel with them I think was the report that I saw yeah c- c- uh, mixed messages I think around his availability uh, for the second test but ostensibly he's out and yeah. Washington Sundar comes into the squad yeah. as, as well as a couple of others and also potentially Kale Rahul out for the second test as well yeah um where do from- India go then well, it's a really good question because I don't actually know where they where they want to go with their batting. They've got heaps of guys. My uncle Agarwal, I think, made three hundred and something thousand yeah. off twelve balls in the Ranji Trophy, <laughs> so he could come straight in into the middle order. He has better than the middle order before at number four, so uh, possibly a big in for India there but I think they have replaced him with other guys in the squad the names escape me because uh, I did very little prep for your part of the podcast I apologise um, yeah so Washington Sunda comes in do you think they go with with Sunda coming in as a not like for like because you can't replace Jadeja's batting at five there's a big hole to fill here really isn't there well, there, there isn't. Uh, look, I think probably the big hole is um, is obviously missing Virat Kohli. Um, so, yeah, I, I wonder whether or not they will go with a, someone else coming in and batting in that slot or whether they'll just actually shuffle people around um, mm. because Kohli, I think, is coming back for that, you know, that third test match. So, you know, do, do they move, uh, I don't know, Shreyas Iyer up to four potentially? There's a bunch of guys that could do it. Yeah. And um, we saw even Axel Patel move up the order so they could get the combinations right. So I, I don't think India's problem is a lack of quality. It's the permutations that they're going to have. Um, within that test match I thought Jaiswal batted you know really well uh, for, for a young guy at the top of the order clearly Rohit uh, clearly Rohit plays um, I, yeah I think the question mark for them might be a little bit around the way they balance their um, their bowling attack you would have thought they would have enough with the finger spin of Ravi Ashwin and Akshar Patel and Kuldeep is going to come in if they if they want a third uh, a third spinner. That makes sense to yeah. me. I mean, Kuldeep probably walks Within in the, the squad, f- yeah. and, and he probably walks in as first choice spinner in most international sides yeah. anyway. Uh, so he's probably going to come in. But that does mean that they're going to miss the balance of having Ravindra Jadeja bat five or six in India. But, they're going to have to replace him with a better. Yeah, but I think Akshar again, as we said, moved yeah, up, point. moved up the order. Ravi Chandran Ashwin's batted as high as six in Test matches, I think. Mm. Um, so they, they've got some pretty decent ballast in that um, in that middle yeah, order. Ba- Barat batted okay. So uh, again, I think it's just how they how they manage this, particularly if they are seeing it as a we only need to get through this one Test match because Virat comes back. KL Rahul's injury Might doesn't look yep. uh, life threatening. 
Uh, but yeah, we don't know, depending on the grade of, of Ravi Jadeja's hamstring tear, that could be um, a week off and he's all right, or it could be that he misses the, the rest of the series if it's... Um, if it's serious, I, I think the you know the other question will be around the pitch. Uh, I believe this is a red soil pitch that we're going to be playing on, which is more conducive to seam bowling. Apparently, oh, there you go. Um, well, not necessarily more conducive, but certainly more conducive than, um, than Hyderabad would have been. So, I think the balance will be that you know India will still go in with at least two uh, two, two seamers. seamers. Makes um, sense, yeah. Particularly with the guys that they've got now in their side and the yeah. the importance of Boomer and Siraj. You know, yeah, that they they take on more importance going forward. The only guy that I've really got any concern around in that batting lineup, as you say, you could plug just about anyone in there and they're going to do a job right. But the one that guy that is concerning me a little bit is Shubman Gill. Yeah, twenty three and naught in this Test match. There have been rumblings about his position in the Indian side. Is he better as an opener or should he be in the team? He's got some he's got some runway here because of the yeah. the injury situations, but I think that's one to watch going forward for them over the course of the series. Once they get Rahul back, once they get Coley back, once they get everyone kind of in their preferred positions, I wonder if he his spot at number three might come under the microscope a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I, they're going to bounce back. That's for sure. Absolutely. Don't write a champion side off. And this Indian side, particularly at home, are a champion cricket team full of champion players. For England, any changes? Change don't never change a winning team. What are your thoughts for Test match number two? Well, again, we 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 obviously don't know what the pitch looks like, but the game starts on Friday, so the teams will be yeah, obviously I think a day off today, and then we'll yeah we'll travel uh, travel up. I'm sure they'll try and squeeze a game of golf in, a bit of paintballing on the way or whatever. Um, but look, I, I think jokes aside the talk of the venue is that it's going to be uh, one where you'd pick a couple of seamers normally um, so let's just see what the yeah what the email fired off at the conclusion of that test match to the groundsman was in, in terms of what he can do to accelerate or de-accelerate the preparation of that pitch um, but I, I do think England will go with two seamers Wood bowled I think 25 overs in this in this test match um, I think from memory 17 or so in the first innings and maybe 8 or 9 in the second innings so his workload whilst not great was a workload where a guy that hasn't played a lot of back-to-back test matches I think they'll see how he pulls up off the um, I'm assuming internal flights um, and unless they've got a charter it'll be a um, it'll be a, a economy seat or certainly not, not one with legroom I don't even have business class um, on those domestic uh, short-haul flights so they'll see how Wood pulls up if he pulls up okay I think he plays with Jimmy Anderson um, if he doesn't pull up okay I think they will make a decision as to whether or not it's Atkinson and Anderson, um, or whether they whether they go down the route of um, Anderson and Robinson, dependent yeah, dependent upon the surface. But I think they would want that option of someone that can bowl a little know, bit extra pace, 80, 88 to ninety mile, mile an hour. Does take the wicket out of a little yeah. out of it a little bit if you've got that extra pace. And then I think from a spin perspective, that's the other question mm. mark. So again. It, uh, all the reports coming out of the camp were that Leach's injury was pretty bad and, um, you know, worse to the effect of if you knew how bad it was, you'd be surprised that he's even on the field. So that suggests to me that he must be a serious doubt for that, um, for that test match. And then I think that that does mean that, you know, if they're playing two, uh, two seamers, uh, ostensibly keeping folks in the side which they're going to do they can only pick two frontline spinners but I think they'll have enough with Joe Root as that third um, third option but I wouldn't be surprised to, to see if they went with Hartley and Bashir 
um, and actually Ryan Ahmed uh, might be the one to to actually miss out to get that uh, that seamer in. So yeah, for me the bowling attack um, could be Hartley, Bashir, Wood, and Anderson. Is that uh, Bashir in for ostensibly Bashir in for Ryan Ahmed? A, a case of more finger spin equals good in India. Well, again, I think they've got they've got to look at the you know they've got to look at the wicket, and they might even look at what India look like they're going to do because I think the reality is you can tell a lot from the way the team's set up in practice now as to who's going to get the the Guernsey. So unless there's a few mind games going on um, in the, with the way that India prepare, I think England will know whether they're going to go down the Kuldeep Yadav um, route or not, and that might you know might help them with their decision making process. Um, but yeah, it'd be yeah, really, really interesting to see. But certainly, I think Hartley caused a few uh, a few problems with his with his heights, uh, or not problems necessarily, but he looked effective. I think particularly mm-hmm. in that second innings, um, Bashir's even taller than him than him. Um, so maybe that you know that's the that's the route that they'll go. But yeah, we'd be guessing. But that would be my team if I was picking it. Um, Fair enough, picking it today. Fair enough. Long way to go in this Test series. Absolutely. Have your expectations changed in terms of what you expect from England in this series, having picked up a win in the first Test? My expectations, to be honest, I think I, I have become completely and utterly brainwashed by baseball. Um, I, as I said earlier on, I shout at the TV when when people are criticising the the decision making process that sits behind it, uh, whether it's who opens the bowling, what the batting order is, the way they go out and play, whether they reverse sweep. We have to start as England cricket fans, I think, um, and media trusting that Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum know what they're doing. Um, success isn't necessarily going to be defined as their you know, vernacular would tell you by a series win. It's going to be going out and trying to push the envelope when they can and being committed to the decisions that they make. The reality is, I think this is already a win for England, winning a test match in India. Um, yes, if they get pumped 4-1, it probably, you know, and clearly takes the shine off that. But mm. I think what it shows is that um, the approach can be successful. It's then the consistency of doing that that's going to be the, the litmus test for England. I, I, I hate it that I agree with you in that I think England have shown that they can be successful in India and this method can work. Yep. The question will be how often and will it be enough to win the Test Series in India because that is now on the cards for, yeah. for England. It probably wasn't on the cards for many England fans going into this series, which is great. I think it's it's going to be really, really interesting for England fans and for India fans to see how India bounce back from a, a you know a rare test defeat at home and how England can they go on with it? Can they consistently perform and take those risks, create that chaos uh, in that kind of environment? And will that be successful three times out of five? Because that's what we're effectively looking at now. Two times out of four, can England do it again? Yeah, and who knows? But I, I know for damn sure, and this is with all due respect, but Dom Sibley opening the batting doesn't give us this opportunity. Um, plodding away and nicking off to guys turning it away from the bat and trying to survive and hang in on those wickets wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. It hasn't worked for 30 years. It isn't going to start working now. So, um, look, I really like this approach. I thought it was a cracking game of cricket. Uh, we've lost a whole bunch of subscribers um, <laughs> overnight, mainly mainly for <laughs> India, I think, after this England victory, um, given some of the content of our podcast. So please come back, um, particularly if your side uh, get to 1-1. But look, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the, the series. And I'm just devastated that we didn't have a third test match in that West Indies-Australia series. It now should be a rule that 
every test match is an odd number of games. Well, it, it needs to be uh, three series, tests. Sorry, yeah. It needs to be three tests or an occasional one-off test for like a centenary or a yeah. final or something like that. But yeah, three test series are the way forward um, and have been for some time. I don't think we're, this is not breaking news no. on the Top Order podcast, but you're absolutely right. West Indies against Australia in Sydney would be just a fitting end to the test match summer uh, as it often is but but sadly not this year uh, but i think we've done it i think we've got through a podcast none of us have uh, thrown punches at each other we've remained friends and covered uh, two fantastic pieces of test cricket to kick off some series yeah look, absolutely test cricket alive and kicking we will be back in your feed this time next week to wrap up that second test they come thick and fast these first couple of tests uh, Friday the second this next one kicking off we'll also have um, some updates on the New Zealand domestic season and of course New Zealand international season kicking on as well we'll be down in Christchurch for that we will uh, that test match Australia um, and New Zealand that's a little ways off in March but it is good night and God bless from us here on the Top Order podcast here in Auckland we'll see you next week good night <laughs>